Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today we're talking different ways that the government buys. And this episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Check out skywayacq.com for more. All right, let's get started. Let's return again to talking about how the government buys. Back in episode 329, we talked about the four categories of government procurements, and we called them transactional, organizational, enterprise, and and the big ones. That episode was about the size and complexity of the requirement and, and who it served. In this episode, we're going to further break down the procurements into four different, again, categories. But this time, it's not about the requirement. It's about the vehicle the government uses to meet that requirement, not about the requirement itself. The, the size of the requirement is going to impact the choice of the vehicle, but not exclusively. There are four primary ways that the government buys. And just because the acronyms are funny, we'll explain them later. But GPC, SAP, IDIQ, and RFP. And then just for fun, there's actually also OTA. So you've said nothing there. All those letters yeah, and still funny. nobody knows what we're talking about. The big reveal will come later. All right. Before we get into that, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to John Haynes. John is a former Marine Corps contracting officer, and he currently supports the DOD's contracting business information systems. He's in the Washington, D.C. area. I, I want to thank John for liking and sharing, coincidentally, our episode 329 specifically. That was the one about the four categories episode you just mentioned. One of the best ways for people to find our podcast is for our listeners to interact with our episodes on LinkedIn and share them. Likes and shares go a long way toward helping people find our podcast. So thanks, John, for helping us make government contracting better one contract at a time. Thanks, John. All right, back to the topic. What are we talking about? You just dropped some alphabet soup about the four primary ways that the, that the government buys things. So let's define those. GPC is government purchase card. And it's basically, it's a government credit card. Technically it's a government debit card, but it interacts like a, like an actual credit card. And we covered that in episode 301. If you want to dig into it in detail. The next one is SAP, which stands for simplified acquisition procedures. And that's in FAR part 13. Uh, We covered that in episode 51. Next IDIQ. Indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. We covered those in many episodes. And we first started talking about them in episode 45, way back when. And then we did a series on the fair opportunity process under IDIQ contracts in episodes 221, 224, and 226. And then we nicked on this topic again in recently in episode 319. All right. The next way the government buys things is the RFP. And this is the request for proposal. And this, to think of this as a negotiated acquisition. This is FAR Part 15 stuff. And we've touched that in lots of episodes. <laughs> to try to make a list would make this. Yeah, we'll talk about why we've touched on it in lots here in a minute. All right. These are all in the FAR. Government purchase cards, FAR 13.2.2, however you want to say that. Simplified acquisition procedures is FAR 13. Again, it's 13.3. IDIQs are in part 16, 16.5 specifically, and traditional RFPs, those are the big competitions that, that make 
get most of the headlines for, for government procurement. That's generally FAR Part 15. All right, let's go through these one by one. Let's start with the GPC. Yeah, the government purchase card is for low complex, low complexity uh, items uh, low, and, and low value. It, it tends to be commercial items, but, but not always. And the way that the, the micro purchase threshold, which was that episode we talked about, is $10,000. So up to $10,000, this is the preferred mechanism. It's use just, the card. Yeah, use, it's just like a regular, like you and I would buy something with our credit card. Yeah, in some cases, the cards can be used for much more than that. And that usually takes some some approvals, some special approvals by the, the government agency or department somewhere up the path. They have to approve it for higher value purchases. I know the, the Air Force has used it on, on their pitch day awards to, to award contracts on the spot. And I think those are like $50,000 that they, they put on the card in the moment. And I know I've told this story before, Kevin, but w- way back in the day during... Uh, a national emergency, we had credit cards and, and were approved to to charge a whole lot on them. I once once uh, did a, a million dollar credit card or not credit card, GPC transaction. Like you said, it's a debit card. I had the money behind it, but I used a debit card for a million dollar buy. Exciting, but not the norm. So, so yeah, these are generally low value, but, but low value is relative depending on how the, that, that government agency uh, what what they usually buy. Government uses these for routine open market, or, or I guess the other term is like we talked about before, transactional buys. You just need this one thing and you're going on to the next thing. So industry folks, if you are selling something that is commercial or routine or transactional and the government is not using the GPC as their acquisition path, this is a good chance to, to talk to them and, and remind them that that might be a way they could do it. Make it make it the path of least resistance, right? If this is if this exactly. is the easiest way to get to you, talk to your government counterparts and let them know that oh, this could be really easy. Just use the card. All right, the next one: simplified acquisition procedures. It's lower complexity, but not necessarily. I mean, you can still buy complex products and services uh, using this process. They're, they're lower value, but again, not low value. Uh, for example, up, up to $7.5 million for commercial items. We did an episode about that specifically. This group, the simplified acquisition procedures, is set aside specifically for small businesses exclusively. And so these are contracts worth up to 250000 or like I said, up to $7.5 million if they're commercial. And so these tend to be commercial items, commercial services, but again, not always. Up to $250,000 without being a, a commercial item. So these first two groups, this is the bulk of the transactions that the government buys. Most of it's here. Most of it's small dollar, faster acquisitions. There's some stat that like 80%, the transactions the government makes are going to be in these first two groups. The dollar value, it's not going to 80% of the dollar value isn't going to be here, but the transactions themselves. So from the government side, use this for most small business awards, if possible. Uh, it, it is the path of least resistance to competing because you compete with some fund acquisition procedures, but you're skipping or avoiding, I don't know what the right word is, a lot of the pomp and circumstance and, and process that comes with a FAR Part 15, with a, we'll talk about in a minute, with, a, with a, a pure source selection. This is like a source selection light when I used it. Uh, and when I discovered this part of the FAR later in my career, it, it streamlined a lot of stuff. For industry folks, we often talk about the relative 
levels of government process in in an acquisition versus the relationship power you need to to sway the acquisition your way to get the award. With simplified acquisition procedures, this steps you up beyond the government purchase card where you might need a little more relationship to convince the government to do it your way. And they're actually writing up evaluation criteria. There, there's some selection criteria beyond just lowest price here, or there can be uh, more selection criteria. This is where even though it's streamlined and faster than the traditional old school far part 15 way, you still need to have a little bit more relationship. Generally, you need to have a little bit more relationship. But there's still some process. <laughs> there's always it's process. really hard to skip the process. Let's move on to IDIQs, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. We've talked at length about what those are, so we, we won't get into the details here. These are used for, for again, lower complexity, but not necessarily. I've bought really complex services and, and really complex equipment using IDIQ contracts. They tend to be lower value per transaction, meaning it may be a $500 million contract, but it isn't like it's one $500 million transaction. It's lots of smaller ones, right? Definitely going to be a higher volume of what the government is buying. Hence the reason for it to have an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract is this is a repetitive acquisition. The repetitive acquisition is going to have a ceiling of a certain amount, but the government's going to be buying lots of things up to that ceiling. The nice thing about an, uh, an IDIQ from the government side is it allows for maximum flexibility. If you need five of these or 5,000 of these, you can write an IDIQ contract for it. Kind of hard to do that with a credit card or with a SAP or for that matter, even with an RFP. And so the, the value can be unlimited up to, you know, there's 500, I've awarded $500,000 IDIQs and I've been part of billion dollar IDIQs, even multiple award ones. The value is not capped, like in those first two ways I talked about, the GPC and the SAP. Yeah, not capped by the FAR. I mean, there are there are there will be a ceiling on the contract. I, I guess I'll yes. I'll pause just a second there for listeners that that may not understand even the the basics of a, of an IDIQ. This is this is the government negotiating the terms and conditions, and maybe even the pricing ahead of time, and then competing task orders or delivery orders under that. So you can put one contractor on contract and say, you're going to be my source for this kind of thing. And I'll tell you how many I want and when I want them later. Or you may have multiple contractors with that same scope that compete for how many, you, when, when you decide how many you want and when you want them, they compete for that order on the spot. And that's a really nice way to do it because the big competition's done. You're just competing what you need today. All right, back to the topic at hand. From the government side, IDIQ is often preferred. As I mentioned, it's, it allows for a lot of flexibility. Also, multiple award contract IDIQ, which you just mentioned, that's the idea of instead of having one company that's on this contract and, and gets all of the orders, you have multiple companies who continue to compete for the follow-on on work. In fact, part 16.504C talks about there's a preference. Continuing officer is, is required to have a preference for multiple award. And if you do a single award above $100 million, you got to get approval for it. So the expectation is in this type of contract, there's going to be more than one company that wins and they're going to compete, like you said, Paul, in a smaller scope because only three or four companies are going to be competing as opposed to having an open market competition every time, but you're still going to have to compete. And it's, it's important to understand that, that the FAR requires a lot of approvals if you have a big contract that only one company has uh, all the orders for it. Industry folks, the agency that, that you are trying to sell to 
may already have IDIQs out there with multiple uh, multiple awardees, understand what vehicle they use. You may be able to get your own IDIQ awarded or your your path to that agency may be by being a subcontractor to one of their existing IDIQ contractors, one of those multiple award companies. There are some vehicles, IDIQ vehicles, that are open to any agency. So one agency awards it and any agency can place orders off of it, can do competitions through it. So industry folks, understand how the agency you're targeting buys and head that direction. It, it, it's You want to make it easy for them to buy from you. They're not going to do a competition and award specially to you when they already have these kind of vehicles set up. And that, that's why the vehicles are there. I mean, th- these include GSA. These include the individual IDIQs. These include government-wide acquisition contracts. I mean, this is a huge number of contracts across a variety of, of uh, products and services and agencies. So it's critically important for industry to know which one does my customer use? Because if you're not on it, you got to figure out how to be on it. Because if you're on this, if you're on this IDIQ and they don't use it, you're not the path of least resistance. In fact, you're the path of most resistance. So they're probably not going to go your way. It's also possible that you're on an IDIQ that they could use that they don't know about. Exactly. So they may not how to know how to buy from you because they think they have to do a competition or figure out how to justify a sole source. And you can say, no, 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 I am on this multiple word IDIQ over there and it's open to any government agency and they can just buy straight from me there. Anyway, again, getting too deep, getting too deep. On to the next request for proposal, RFP. This is negotiated contracts and, and source selections, competitions. These are for higher complexity although not necessarily. Uh, my question is, if it is low complexity, why would you go through this big process? And again, that's something I learned later in my career. These tend also to be higher value. Again, if it's a lower value, if it's a $100,000 contract that you're doing that would be a small business set aside, why would you use this process? Just go with simplified acquisition procedures. It's important to understand all four of these so both the contracting officer and industry understand what's going to be the most effective approach. These RFPs are used for commercial, non-commercial, all types of contracts, uh, award fee, cost type, doesn't matter. And the value is unlimited in, in terms of what they could use it for, although there are a lot of approvals that are required as you get bigger. But to your point, Paul, there's going to be a limit on the value of the contract. But what I'm saying is to use this this part of the FAR, there's no ceiling on how, how big the contract Yeah, the FAR doesn't say use this up to $7.5 million. This is for exactly. anything. It's funny, you, you mentioned early in your career, you wish you would have known more about the other ways to buy things. Uh, we, we grew up in the same acquisition world, right? Everything was far part 15 there. And we had friends that started in other places that to them, they thought, why would I ever use far part 15? Because the first thing they used were, were the other techniques and far part 15 seemed horrible. We thought that that was how you bought things. So I, I didn't even consider other options. I started with FAR Part 15. Every time I was doing something new, that was my mindset. When I moved to uh, operational contracts, I started to learn these other tools. And then when I went to Special Operations Command and I was buying all kinds of different things at different uh, values, I was really much, became much more aware of FAR Part 13. And like you said, it was thinking, wow, I wish I'd known about this years ago. Obviously, you're going to use FAR Part 15 when you're buying an aircraft. But there were products and services that, that I bought that I probably could have used the simplified acquisition procedures and cut like, I don't know, 
30% <laughs> or 50% of the, of the timeline out. But again, you don't know what you don't know, right? You could use FARPAR 12 to buy an aircraft. We, we both did. You, you could use IDIQs to buy aircraft if you didn't know how many you're going to need or when you could place orders for aircraft at different times. So it doesn't have to be, but that's the way we think, right? Oh, I'm buying something big. It's probably got to be far part 15. Right. And the, the better strategy is to use from the government side is to use this sparingly. If you can, it, it is the most complex option. And as I talked about, I kind of wish I'd, I'd done this the best, uh, but again, it, what my, it's what my agency did. It was what our, our office did. It was what our, our organization used. It was our go-to. The challenge with this is that when you use FAR Part 15, you have lots of options, and that's what you want. You want lots of options. The problem with lots of options is the more options you have, the more decisions you have to make. Right. So it can be kind of exhausting to have, oh, yes, we have a million options. Oh, no, we have a million options. Right. Because you got to figure them all out, right? So it's, it's a mixed blessing. So I, would, I wish I had used simplified acquisition procedures more. It, it, would have, it would have sped a, a lot of things up. Yeah. Industry folks, I, I think the trend is away from FAR Part 15 right now. Most agencies use the other three as, for as many things as possible. And, th and the new trend is to use other transaction authority to to award contracts that are not government contracts. So by, by doing an OTA, which is funny that they... It's actually OT. <laughs> the OTA stands for authority. So Right, but, but they're, they're called OTA. I, yeah, people I, I call know, them OTAs. It's, it's anyway... <laughs> By using OTAs, I'll keep calling them that, government buyers get out of the the FAR rules and policies and procedures. At least that's the idea behind it. What I've seen in many cases, the competition is just as complicated under an OTA because, again, there are no rules, so they can do things different ways. And that leads to a lot of confusion as they try to explain how they're going to do this and what the rules are. And then they award a contract that looks exactly like a government contract with all the clauses, even though that's what it was designed to get around. But they're not all like that. Just trying to say that contrary to how we grew up in government acquisition, FAR Part 15 does not seem to be the primary starting point for acquisitions now. The largest acquisitions are trying to find other, more streamlined ways to go about buying what the government needs. So those are the four primary ways that the government buys things. Nearly every contract award fits into one of, of those four types. There are others. Most of the acquisitions are going to take pieces of these four. And, and it's important to know all four of these because whether you're doing a sole source, a branding justification, a competitive acquisition, a direct source, pieces of these four or one of them, or maybe more than one of them is going to apply. Because sometimes you end up with combinations like... Bar part 15, the acquisition process to buy a major system, but it happens to be commercial. So they take the far part 12 piece and they're going to do a multiple award. So you've got an IDIQ and a far part 15 and a commercial item all in one acquisition. So you have pieces of it. Industry, when you're targeting, figure out how the government should, could, or would use all four of these types so that you're in the best position to be the path of least resistance. So they can find the path to you. From the path to the zones, let's link this to the acquisitions, time zones, and execution time zones. What we're talking about occurs in the market research zone and the RFP zone on the acquisition time zone side, right? The government's deciding what is the path of least resistance? How do I acquire what I need in the most efficient way? And that occurs 
in market research and RFP zones? On the execution time zones, the recompete zone is where this is going to come up. Because the question is, well, did how we do it work? <laughs> or should we have done this through an IDIQ or through some other vehicle? Right. Let's learn from the past. Not If it worked well, let's do that again. If not, um, let's try something else. If you're not familiar with the time zones, we cover the acquisition time zones in episode number three and the execution time zones in episode 84. These time zones are the process that we came up with to describe how the government goes through buying and executing a contract. All right, Kevin, let's wrap this up by focusing again specifically on why should the government be paying attention to multiple ways to buy things? You really want to know all four of these from the government side, or at least be basically proficient in all four, because they're very different in, in their execution and the amount of time that they take. But I, I was in a rut, didn't even realize that I was used to using FAR Part 15 until I really became aware of and how to use the other ones. And once you understand how to use them, you can educate your customer, your government customer, on the value of each. Because they're not going to know that, that why a multiple award IDIQ would do this for them or versus a subvite acquisition procedure would do this for them. Right. Are uh, you going to need what? more of these? Maybe we should consider an IDIQ instead of a one-time award, or we'll be doing a competition again a year from now. When I was at SOCOM, the, one of the first uh, subvite acquisition procedures that I did is I was so used to doing these FAR Part 15s and decided, you know what, let's just do this under simplified acquisition procedures. So I had the evaluators, you know, these are Army Rangers, and it's a piece of equipment. And I said, okay, I need to know how this piece of equipment, this sample that we got better than this one. And he said, I just have to write out why this is better. I don't have all this big evaluation criteria, a whole lot of detail to write out. I can just tell you. I'm like, yeah. So he picks up the helmet and he shakes it and it rattles and makes a noise. And he goes, that you know, in the field, it gets me shot at and takes up, picks up the other one and shakes it, doesn't make a noise. I want this one. And it was really simple, right? And because the simplified acquisition procedures allows for a much more simplified evaluation process, pretty much all I needed, much simpler process. Government folks, don't forget to communicate early with industry about which of these techniques, how are you going to buy this? How do you intend to use it? Industry will let you know if there is a a path to of leaster resistance if if there's an if there's an easier way to do it they'll let industry will let you know leaster, you invented yeah, a word that's not no i didn't that's not the way not you should that's speak not. at all and i just flipped it over to the industry side understand the different ways that the government buys figure out which ones the agency you're targeting uses and talk to them about them help them understand which method gets them to you most easily. Also, industry folks understand that the investment in, in the, the amount of time you have to, to work in it, the amount of time it takes to get to an award, the amount of proposal resources that you need are different for each of these acquisition strategies. And they kind of ramp up in the order that we talked about them, where FAR Part 15 is most likely the most time and, and resource intensive in order to submit a bid and win. And the difference between the work time, meaning the hours you have to spend on it versus the calendar time, how long it'll take to actually win the work, those are both going to increase as you move through the, the, the four ways. Okay, Kevin, that's a good place to end this one. I'll talk to you soon. All right, I'll see you, Paul. That's it for another episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. 
We needed help understanding which acquisition type is the path of least resistance to your company. Remember, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is here to guide you through custom consulting and training. Go to skywayacq.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.